Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast. I'm your host, CJ. In today's episode, we'll be covering one of the most important topics of the 18th century, the Enlightenment. We'll be going over a brief history and some of the philosophers and their ideas in this episode. If you'd like to read the script for this episode and its citations, go to 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Let's begin with a brief history of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment, also known as the Age of Reason, began in the 17th century. I know, I know, I'm cheating a bit here, but the ideas brought forth during this time will be carried over into the 18th century and hold great influence. The Enlightenment would hold sway over many different aspects of life, such as philosophy, politics, science, etc. During my research for this episode, I found many contesting points declaring when the Enlightenment actually began. The uh, earliest of which started with Francis Bacon in 1620 with his publication of Nuvum Organum. Organum. I apologize for my very likely mispronunciation of that Latin. It sounds like Latin at least. So my apologies for that mispronunciation. Then in uh, 1651, Thomas Hobbes would publish his book, Leviathan. In the book, he would argue, in simplest terms, for absolute monarchy. The idea of the social contract theory finds its roots with Hobbes as well. Then jumping forward to the 1680s, we see two important texts published. The first is Principa Mathematica by uh, Isaac Newton in 1686. The second is Essay Concerning Human Understanding by John Locke in 1689. A year later, John Locke would publish arguably his most important contribution to the Enlightenment, his second treatise on government. Then, from the 1730s to the 1780s, uh, we get a, the, the bulk of the Enlightenment texts. We'll see writings from Montesquieu, Voltaire, Rousseau, Smith, Kant, and many others as well. There are so many people, it would just take too long to list them all. Uh, in 1748, Montesquieu would put forth his political work, the Spirit of the Laws. Then in 1762, Rousseau published his work on the social contract. On March 9th of 1776, Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations is published. This very interesting economic text was only a few months off from the Declaration of Independence. Then, heading towards the 1780s, we get the work of Immanuel Kant. What's interesting about the Enlightenment is the fact that it's pretty much a decades-long conversation between philosophers. The Enlightenment would span across Europe and the Americas. Uh, more specifically, it would be in France, uh, Scotland, and a bit in Germany, too. And we'd also get American thinkers which would more tend towards um, 
American founders such as Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin, but uh, one that kind of crosses both sides would also be Thomas Paine uh, for American thinkers. Uh, those are some of the ones I'm more familiar with. But on the French side, you get more like Voltaire or Montesquieu, uh, Rousseau, um, the French, or sorry, I just said the French ones. <laughs> the uh, Scottish would be like Adam Smith. I know there are a couple others, but their names escape me at the moment. And for uh, Germany, Immanuel Kant. But I believe there are a few others for Germany as well, but I do not, I am not aware of their works as much as Kant's. Now that I've covered a very brief history of the Enlightenment, I think it's time that we take a closer look into some of the ideas of the Enlightenment. Let's kick things off with arguably one of the most influential ideas of the Enlightenment, politics. When the Enlightenment begins, we see absolute monarchy being espoused by philosophers. Yet as the decades start moving forward, they begin to tend towards republicanism. In Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, he proposed the idea of the divine right of kings. The basic idea of this is kings are appointed by God and thus are justified to rule over others. I think it's obvious to say that this type of doctrine would be popular with absolute monarchs. Yet, when John Locke came in with his two treatises on government, it was basically a refutation of the idea of the divine right of kings. Also from Locke, we get more development in the area of natural rights. Locke would come to argue for natural rights of life, liberty, and property. Locke was also a proponent of natural law. Then, with Montesquieu, we get the idea of a few different forms of government, which he lists as republics, monarchies, and despotisms. I would like to note that we get the modern view of republicanism from Montesquieu, which in the modern vernacular would be a representative democracy. If you went to school in the United States, you were probably taught about this idea. Yet, as a fun fact, this idea of republicanism as presented by Montesquieu clashes with a more classical approach as presented by Cicero. Cicero would have described a republic as a mixed form of government which combines aspects of monarchy, democracy, and aristocracy into one system which balances itself. I thought it would be interesting to share how definitions and ideas change over time, and this was one great example. Now, with Rousseau, he presents the idea of the social contract. The social contract was introduced before, but he refined the idea. He would contrast with Locke's view more so by being in favor of direct democracy as his view of the best way to govern society. The political works of the Enlightenment influenced the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Now moving forward to the field of economics, I think it's safe to say Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations is perhaps the most influential economic work out of the 18th century. 
It reintroduced the world to the economic idea of capitalism. From then on, it revolutionized the world. Many schools of thought on economics have sprung up since Smith's work. On the scientific side of things, we saw many advancements too. The basis of the modern scientific method began to form. Newton made advancements in mathematics and the study of gravity. The discovery of the planet Uranus by William uh, Herschel, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, uh, occurred. Also, the mass of the sun was calculated. You would also see Benjamin Franklin's work with electricity. Now, regarding the religious side of the Enlightenment, there were many developments too. The most prominent view associated with this period would probably be deism. The deistic view is that there is one God, and God did create the universe, but does not interfere with the going-ons of it. The other view of deism was that God could be known through reason. I might make an episode in the future on deism since it's a pretty fascinating topic. But also during the Enlightenment, we see a greater sense of religious tolerance. You see an expansion of Protestantism during the period as well. I believe what I presented here covers some of the most basic and widespread views of the Enlightenment. Now, I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, we'll take a brief look into the life of John Locke. Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast. We'll continue our second half of the show by taking a brief look into the life of John Locke. John Locke was born on August 29, 1632. He was born in Rington, Somerset, England, and grew up in Pensford, which was close to Bristol. My apologies to any English viewers if I have mispronounced any of the names of the uh, towns or cities. John's father was a lawyer and a cavalry captain during the English Civil Wars. After the First Civil War, John's father secured a spot for his son at Westminster School in London. John would attend the school when he was only 14 years old. Though John was gifted in academics and elected as a King's Scholar in 1650, he would come to despise the school system. He disapproved of corporal punishment and some of the behavior of the students as well. A few years later, in 1693, he would put pen to paper and give his thoughts on education, arguing for a more private tutoring system over what he went to for boarding schools. When he was 20 years old, he attended Christ Church at Oxford. In 1663, John was appointed a senior censor in Christ Church, which among his duties were to oversee undergraduates and give lectures. Locke eventually became a member of the Royal Society and began to study medicine. In 1675, Locke traveled to France after losing favor with King Charles II of England. By the time he left for France, John had earned his bachelor's degree in medicine from Oxford. 
during his time in France, he would befriend the intellectuals and Protestants in the area of which he was in. He would head home in 1679, but then in September of 1683, Locke would make his way to Holland. The reason being was that John's friend, a few years prior, was being closely watched by the English government and fled to Holland, which then his friend ended up dying in 1683. John himself was being closely watched by the English government at the time too due to the uh, closeness with this particular friend and a few others among him, or with him I should say. He returned to England in February of 1689, which around this time, 1689, uh, 1690-ish, I believe it's 1690, he would write his uh, second treatise on government. He became more involved in politics under the newly crowned Queen Mary II. John would assist in writing the English Bill of Rights, he spent his final years with his friends and continuing his writing. John Locke died on October 28, 1704. The Enlightenment was probably one of the greatest philosophical and scientific movements in history. I would have liked to have made uh, this episode a bit longer, but I didn't have enough time this week. So my apologies, and for next week I will attempt to make um, next week's episode maybe uh, two, three minutes longer than this week's, because this is a shorter podcast. So again, my apologies for such a short episode, but I think I've given a decent overview of the Enlightenment era. So the uh, script and citations for this episode and all other episodes can be found at 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. If you'd like to support the show, please share it and leave a review and a rating on iTunes. Uh, I've been noticing the show is growing, and I'd like to see it grow more. So if you'd like to see the show grow and have longer episodes so I'd have more time, uh, please just simple rating and review. It helps a ton, guys. I've been your host, CJ, and thank you for listening to this episode of the 18th Century Podcast.